Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Friends, I'm glad that you're streaming online with us today. I wish, as we said last week, that we could be together, that we could be in the same room, but I'm honored that you would choose to be here with us and celebrate today as we sing together, as we sit together under the teaching of the word, as we pray, as we unite together, even in our homes scattered around the city. Uh, this season, it's been interesting just to watch. Any of you see the Italians singing on their balconies uh, in the last week and just people that are secluded and stuck in their own spaces and yet there's this yearning to be together, this yearning to sing together, to be connected to something bigger than yourself and just to be united to those that are around you. And I think there's just something of God's common grace and our common humanity that we just see on display in this season. I see people longing and yearning for hope. And here's what I want you to know. That's what church is supposed to be. I think there's a natural human desire to be a part of the church. And that's what we're seeing on display, even in those moments that people in the midst of a broken world are longing for connection to one another, but also to something bigger than, than themselves, which is, which is the God of the universe. And so in our churches and in our church, that's what we desire to be. And what we know from the truth of scripture is that even that desire for us to come together to be a part of the church is a longing for something even greater. It's a longing for heaven, longing for a day when we'll be united with people of every tongue and tribe, where we'll be able to celebrate in freedom, where we'll be completely uh, united without any division or without any separation, uh, but also just where the brokenness of this world uh, will be completely eradicated and we will be uh, free to, to live forever under the rule and under the reign of our Lord Jesus. And so, and aren't you glad that even in this time, while we're waiting and longing for that time, that we we can come together with confidence and approach the throne of grace that we will find help in the time in our time of need so let's do that let's just pray together and, and seek the lord heavenly father um, i just lift up even now just the people of the earth in our common humanity as we're united now under the struggle and under the threat of this virus Father, would you, uh, would you be with the decision makers? Would you be those who are helping to try to guide us during this time? Would you be with the healthcare workers and those who are on the front lines of trying to care and fight against this disease? Father, would you be with uh, people that own businesses and are having to make tough decisions and the people that are being laid off and furloughed and are losing hours and that are just struggling? Father, would you be with those who are just feeling the weight and the pressure and the stress of their finances and uh, of being isolated and separated from others? Father, for uh, singles, for widows that feel all alone right now. Father, we just lift them up. Father, we confess to you that we are frail. We confess to you that we cannot put daily bread on our tables without your help. Father, we confess to you that we cannot heal this broken world. We confess to you that we need your grace for our sin, that we need you to be a refuge in a difficult time. And Father, as we, as we think about the, the days ahead, we just ask for your mercy on us. Father, we ask that, that you would heal us 
Father, we ask that you would that you would build us up, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us a hope of a, of a future that we have under your good care. Father, would you help us to hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? And Father, that we would proclaim it and that we would make it known, that we would be light to this world and that we would, be, that we would bring hope to all those around us, even in, even in this tough time. Father, we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are continuing our study of the life of David, and as we jump into his word, um, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 22. It's interesting for me as a pastor in this season, there's a lot of kind of online conversations about, do you stop and preach something different right now, or do you preach what you have been preaching in the current series you were in before the crisis kind of hit? And and I really decided to stay with David, honestly, because I could not think of a possible place that's better for us to be right now than what we're looking at in this section of the life of David. And so this is real truth for us right now that I think is going to speak to us today. And we're picking up the story with David's lockdown in a place called the Cave of Adullam. Adullam means refuge. And David is all by himself locked in this cave. And you and I aren't in caves right now, but if the economy keeps going the way it is, we may be looking for a cave before too long. Uh, but let me see if this rings true for you. Uh, David was in a cave. We may be secluded in our home. David was unable to go to work. He was unable to be with his family. He was unable to be with his friends. He was unable to worship with his community of faith. Does that sound like you and me? David, I think, was in a lot of a situation very similar to what we're in. And what we're going to see today is that God oftentimes uses disruptions in our lives to create space where he can go to work. God loves to take the messiness of, of our lives and just begin to go to work and, and bring about good in those places. And we're going to see how that works for us. But you know, I think we have to be honest. Disruptions are they're unsettling for us. Uh, we don't really like them. I used to joke that I love change as long as I'm in charge of it. Right? And sometimes we find ourselves in these places where everything's changed and it feels a little unsteady and unstable. But disruption often also can open us to a new perspective. It can open us to new appreciation. It can open us sometimes to a deeper life of faith. And so we're trusting that the Lord's going to be doing that for you and for me even in this season. I was talking with one of the guys in my small group this week and I just asked the guys, you know, on a scale of one to ten, where is your stress level? And I love the honesty here. He said, uh, one, of, one of my friends said, you know, I believe that God is sovereign, but I, my stress level feels like it's out of 10. And that's the tension we feel. And, and that's the tension I feel as well. And so let's look at this at how disruptions can deepen our faith in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Start reading in verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in doubt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to David. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mitzpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left, the, left him with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad came to David and said, Do not remain in the stronghold any longer. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. 
So here you've got this scene that unfolds in front of us. And uh, David, uh, it starts off in verse 1. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now, you have to remember why David, where David departed from and why he had to escape. It's helpful to remember what we talked about last week in chapter 21. David had really put himself in a miserable place. He had run and was hiding and was, was trying to hide in a place called Gath, which was the hometown of his greatest enemy, Goliath. And there, David thought he could escape there, but he was too famous to go unrecognized. And so they apprehended him. And David came up with this brilliant plan of acting like a complete fool. And so he humiliates himself. He did, acted like a crazy man. And at the end of the day, the king finally looks at him and says, look, do I need any more crazy here? I don't think so. And they just let David go on his way. So David, humiliated, alone, embarrassed, uh, distressed, probably starting to fight with some depression, uh, finds himself in this kind of holding place called the Caves of Adullam. Now these caves, is a re, it's, a, it's a whole area and there's multiple caves that are there, but Adullam is a word that means refuge. And I think that's significant as you think about what's happening here. We don't know how long David was there. Presumably this didn't happen all at once. It, it makes, uh, it kind of bears with reason to understand that for his family to have heard where he was and for them to kind of pack up their belongings and move there for 400 men together and all rally and eventually show up there that some time must have passed. So we know that there was at least a season there where David was on his own in this cave. Now caves are dark, damp, pretty dismal places. And I think the reality for David was that's probably how he felt internally as well, that he probably felt kind of in a dark, depressed sort of a state. And in fact, we know this to be true because David wrote several psalms and prayers during this time. And one of the things we get to see and we get a glimpse of is how God used this time in the cave to build up his spiritual life. Psalm 142, David hits bottom and he's broken before the Lord and broken before uh, really those around him. And he just writes this and it says that he wrote this when he was in the cave. And this was his prayer. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble to him. Look to the right and see. There's no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. And do you feel the loneliness, the despair, the sense of, and I'm all alone in the world. And I'm not sure anyone even sees the struggle that I'm going through. That's where David was. David really hit bottom, I think, here in this cave. And he's not looking for a crowd. Uh, he, in fact, he just says, no one cares for me. And yet, it, what happens in verse 2? The Lord just starts bringing people his way. Who shows up first? His family shows up. And his family, it says that they, his brothers and all his father's house come to him. Uh, reality for them was they were in danger too. If Saul was trying to take David out, they were fearful that he may come and try to take them out. So they're fleeing and they're fleeing to David's care. Now, you have to remember back just a few chapters earlier in, in 1 Samuel. Uh, how did David's family feel about David? Well, he was the one that was overlooked. He was the one that when they said, maybe the king will come from this group of brothers, that he was the only brother that was not included. And so he was kind of left out. He was the one that when David showed up to fight Goliath, his brothers criticized him for just trying to be a big shot and trying to kind of make a big splash. And they resented what he accomplished. And yet now, now when David's at the bottom, they're seeking him out and seeking refuge alongside this one, David. But they're, they're not the only ones, right? It says there's 400 other men that show up. And what kind of crew was this group, uh, this posse that shows up along with David? Notice it says everyone that was in distress, 
Those, that, the word distress there means those who were under pressure, those who felt stressed, those who maybe even were oppressed uh, in, in their station in life. Everyone who was in debt, it says, meaning everyone who couldn't pay their bills, where they didn't know, uh, the people that didn't know where the next rent check was coming from, those were the ones that found their way to David here. It goes on and says, everyone who was discontented. Those are the ones that were bitter about life. They felt wronged or mistreated. They were longing for a change. They wanted a new day. Uh, does that sound like anyone in our world? People that are under distress? People that are, that are facing debt, people that are discontent with the way things are, these were the ones that rallied to David. And so there were 400 of them. I mean, what a crew that must have been. David here fighting his own stress, fighting his own depression, and all of a sudden he's got 400 people just like him that are there looking to him as their commander and as their leader. Uh, it's interesting when you think about what this would have been like. That if you, the research kind of says that these caves were, were giant caves. That some of them would have been like a giant hotel lobby. That you could have fit a full full court basketball court uh, there in in some of these caves. And and you just start getting this picture of 400 outcasts and malcontents all just in this area, crowded together, not practicing social distancing at all. But they come there, and David would become elevated as a leader. It says that they made him their commander. Now here's what you don't know yet. It was out of this kind of ragtag crew that David's mighty men, the mighty men of valor that we read about later in Scripture, come out of this group. David's cabinet would come out of this group. This would become the heart of the nation of God's people that God is forming here in the midst of this cave where they've all sought refuge from the suffering and the difficulties of their time. Friends, when things are messy, don't ever think that God has abdicated or given up or that he has punted on the difficult um, things that we're in. God loves to redeem our messes. In fact, it, this group really, is, as you read it, reminds you of another group of outcasts that Jesus gathered together among himself, around himself. His disciples, the people that, that followed Jesus were uneducated fish, fishermen. They were overlooked nobodies. They were hated tax collectors. They were uh, formerly demon-possessed women recovering from that. Uh, they were considered sinners, unfit for the, the in crowd and the religious influencers. And yet Jesus would take that, that group and make them mighty in service for his mission. It also reminds me of what the New Testament says about us. Uh, the New Testament says, and such were some of you. Friends, this, this sounds like us. This sounds like the, the place we find ourselves, even in, in this moment, as we're, as we're in isolation, as we're hiding, as we're fighting through the stresses of life, as we're worried about our financial situation, as I mean, we're discontent with the way things are and we want them to be restored. Uh, it's surprising sometimes how God works, isn't it? And it's sometimes surprising through whom God works. He, he works through people like you and like me, like Jesus' disciples, like this group of 400 that have surrounded David here. So where does David go next? In verse three, we see that David takes his family and goes to Moab and he leaves his family with the king of Moab, which would seem like a strange thing for him to go to a foreign place and, and kind of offset his family there and leave them there under the king's protection. And but, but here's what, what I love about what David says. He says, please let my father and my mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. It's so easy to run past that, but, but it's such an important thing that tells us about David's perspective. That even in this moment of uncertain times, he's trusting the sovereign care of the Lord. He's trusting that God's plan is being worked out. He's trusting that the Lord is up to something, even if he can't yet see what it is. 
Friends, David was in distress, but he still had faith in God and his sovereign rule that God was the ultimate arbiter of his life, that God was the one that would give him hope. And so he's looking to him, he's waiting, he's longing for the Lord to work in this situation. But he was, he was open to God's guidance and his leadership. In verse five, we see that a prophet shows up and the prophet speaks truth from God and says, David, you need to leave the safety of this cave, the stronghold, and you need to go um, into the land of Judah. And so David obeys that command and he says he departed and went there. Now, what a great way to live. I mean, we plan, we act wisely, we strategize, we do what we think is right. But when God speaks, we obey and we do the next thing that he reveals to us that we need to do. David... Uh, you know, as I think about just what that is like in the experience of my own life, and have you ever noticed how often God gives us the right next step to do, but how rarely he shows us the full map with everything uh, marked for us clearly so that we can see the end? Uh, so often, God's great care, I think, rolls out providentially over, over hundreds of years, and yet for us, we experience that only step by step, one step at a time, taking the, the next step that's in front of us, doing the right next thing. But in that, we have to trust God's sovereignty and his goodness, even when it leads us to a cave, even when it leads us to a ragtag group of people that feel where, where his future feels very uncertain. And can I, can I point out to you one remarkable way that God's at work in this? There, there's a little kind of tidbit that if you know your Old Testament, you may connect some dots here. But David left his family with the king of Moab. And that's an interesting thing for us because there's a, a book that comes just before this in the Old Testament named Ruth. In the book of Ruth, Ruth is a Moabitess woman who marries uh, one from, from Israel. And in that relationship, you see this kind of romantic relationship, give and take. And in some ways, you might wonder why this is even in the Old Testament. But you get to the end of it, and you see at the end of, the, of Ruth 4, it says, now these are the generations, and it begins one of those lists in the Bible where it just rips off generations, but you get to the very end of that list, and it says, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered whom? David. David shows up in the book of Ruth. God was at work in the story of Ruth preparing a place even for David's parents to retreat, to find refuge, to find a place of hiding under the care of the king of Moab even in that time. Friends, God works for hundreds of years. We only get to see a glimpse, but we have to trust his sovereign work. Isn't it fascinating that, that God is taking care of David even in this season? Ironically, if you fast forward several centuries, even in the future, we're going to see that both Ruth and David show up in the lineage of Jesus. And we see that in the Gospel of Matthew. God is, work, God is at work filling, unfolding a big plan. And we get to see glimpses of it, but we have to trust that the whole is going to work together for our good. That's the beauty of the scriptures. Friends, God's help doesn't often come with skywriting and neon signs. Here you see, you see God's care for David, the way he's experiencing it, in little things. He's able to escape from Gath. He's able to take food from some priests to, to feed himself. He's able to, uh, to, to find a safe place to put his parents up. He receives wise direction from a friend through the prophet. And through these little ways, God is leading him and guiding him and directing his steps. And he can trust God's hand even in those little things. 
So friends, what we need to do in situations like the times we find ourselves in and the times like David was living in is we have to trust that we can uh, trust. We have to live with a faith that says, I will stay on course. I will not abandon the Lord. I will, I will hold fast to, to wait and see what God will do for me. And in the rest of the chapter, we get to see this unfold and really see the difference that it makes had David's approach versus King Saul's approach. Saul was in a very different place from where David was in terms of his faith. David was willing to seek the Lord, to remain open to guidance. Saul had closed himself off from the Lord. And we're going to see the ramifications of that. In verse 6, the shift of this, of this chapter focuses, uh, really moves to Saul. Verse 6, it says... It says, now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at, at Gabeah under the tamarisk tree at the, on the height with a spear in hand and all his servants were standing about him. So Saul's gone again to a high place and there he's got his, uh, his ever-present spear in his hand. And uh, we see that Saul's also throwing a pity party and the, the verses after this, Saul sounds awesome, honestly an awful lot like David. Saul says, no one has disclosed to me what's going on. Not one of you feels sorry for me. He's just throwing this kind of royal pity party party for himself, but his language sounds an awful lot like what David said, and yet we're going to see a contrast. David, uh, the difference is where his focus is. David brought his complaints and his trouble to the Lord in prayer. Saul refuses to surrender it to God. Instead, Saul is lashing out at those around him. He's uh, refusing to call them by their name, but just addressing them in calloused ways. He's obsessed with his enemy. He's begging for the reassurance. He's demanding immediate action and immediate results. There's just an, an impatience and a lack of faith that you see in Saul's life and that's going to ultimately lead him in the way of destruction. Do you notice in verse 6 how it describes Saul? It says that he was there on this with everyone gathered around with his spear in his hand. And it, Saul's always got his spear. Spear becomes really a symbol in this whole book of just the hurts that he harbored and the anger that he fostered within his own soul. The spear is this constant symbol of that in his life and friends, this text ought to be a warning to us about, about the past hurts that we carry. And bitterness is a dangerous thing. Uh, one person said that uh, the bitterness is, that holding on to bitterness is like drinking rat poison yourself and then expecting the rat to die. See, bitterness, holding on to bitterness hurts, uh, it really robs us of joy, it robs us of the capacity to love others, and ultimately ends up causing isolation and harm to ourselves. We can't let bitterness turn our hearts to stone like Saul did. He refused to turn back to the Lord with confession, to lay down his hurts, and to, to repent and seek the mercy and grace of the Lord. And ultimately, that's going to harden his heart and lead him in a, in a destructive way. In fact, at the end of these, uh, this chapter, what we see is that it spilled over into a bloodbath of butchery and slaughter. Eighty-five priests and their families are, are destroyed. And they're just eliminated in an, a genocidal act of rage that Saul sends one of his pagan uh, employees to go execute these people. Friends, it's significant how you process your emotions and how you evaluate the events of your life. See, David and Saul both had difficulties that they faced. They both had, had hard times that they were in the midst of, but their approach to those two different things could not have been any more different. 
In fact, if you put them together in a chart and just look at them side by side, uh, one of the things you see, it, it's fascinating just to see how this unfolds. And imagine just a list, and, and I just want to compare and contrast the two. David felt alone and Saul felt alone. David felt abandoned. Saul felt abandoned. David felt betrayed. Saul felt betrayed. They had all that in common, and yet there's other things that were radically different between the two of them. David cried out to his Lord. Saul cried out to his men. David turned his complaints into personal prayers. Saul turned his complaints into personal attacks. David sought help from spiritual leaders. Saul sought help from ungodly men. David trusted in the sovereign plan of God. Saul trusted his ability to control his circumstances. David was humble and broken. Saul was arrogant and demanding. David would go on to become a refuge for many. Saul was a tormentor of many. I think for us, that just brings a question. I think this text is asking is, are we going to walk in the path of Saul? Or are we going to walk in the path of David? What course are we going to choose in the midst of our uncertain times? So let's look at the last few verses of this chapter and see what it is that David did. Down to verse 20. It says, But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of, of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled to David. So one of the priests that, um, that Saul had sent Doug the Edomite to try and execute, one of them had escaped. And this was Abiathar. And it says that Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to him, on that, I, I knew on that day when Doug the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, and I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Now, stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. So David acknowledges that it was some of his action um, in running to the priesthood and seeking refuge to them in 1 Samuel 21 that occasioned Saul's anger and he came and that's why they had suffered in the midst of this, this awful passage. But one of them has escaped and David takes him in. This single priest, he invites him to stay with him. I love what he says. Your enemy, the one who's trying to kill you is also my enemy who's trying to kill me. And you're safe with me, so don't be afraid. David invites the priest to stay with him. And honestly, from that moment on, if you look at the rest of David's life, he becomes the protector of the priesthood. And this, uh, this one priest, Abiathar, would become his friend throughout his entire reign. And so David becomes this kind of protector of the priests uh, from this moment on. And you see this shift that's taking place from David, where he's not just looking out to his own, uh, looking out after his own care, but he's wanting to care for others. So what can we learn from all this? Uh, friends, what, what's the difference between these two kings. It's how they, how they responded to the disruptions of their life that they experienced. David would go on to write three different psalms during this time. And I'm not saying that you need to be a poet or a songwriter. I know some of you think about writing anything beyond a short text with a couple emojis, and that's more than you can handle. Not saying you need that, but here's what I do know. We do need to process the things that are going on in our lives. We need to bring those to the Lord. You can pray. You can, read the, you can read God's word. Uh, you, can, you can reflect on the things and think about the events of your life and what the Lord would have you do in the midst of those circumstances. You can, you can seek the Lord and you can seek wise counsel from others. These are things we can all do. I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says, every single emotion should be processed in prayer. That every emotion we have ought to be processed 
in praying it, bring it to the Lord. Lord, why am I feeling what I'm feeling? What's going on in my heart? What's happening in here? And for some of us, that's gonna take some time to develop kind of an instinct of prayer that helps us process our lives. Uh, but I think it's an important thing for us to do. Friends, in this season of hardship, can I just encourage you to immerse yourself in the Psalms? Immerse yourself in the truth of God's word. Pray through the Psalms. Think on the Psalms. Go back to them. Read them again. The book of Psalms is like a pharmacy for your soul. You can find something there to treat everything that ails you. And so run to the Psalms and look for those to encourage you the next time. David models this for us really well, uh, not just because he ran to those, but he actually wrote some of these Psalms out of the cave that he was experiencing in this moment. So let me share with you three ways David processed his life for the Lord. Uh, first, David heard enough to admit his struggle. David hurt enough to admit this is hard. And so he brought that to the Lord. And when you're hurting, you need to make it known. You need to name it. You need to say it out loud to another person. You need to say it out loud to, to the Lord. It's good just to put a label on it. Where, what are your insecurities? Where is your pain? What are you stressed about? Why are you that angry? about that situation. And to, to be able to just bring your troubles and your complaints to the Lord and say, man, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's going on. Look with me at how David did this in Psalm 142, verses five and six. He says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend now my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. And David's not afraid to bring his complaint. He names it. He says, look, they're too strong. I can't do this. I'm not strong enough to navigate the circumstances of my life in a healthy way. And so he brings those to the Lord and seeks refuge in him. Secondly, David was also honest enough to seek help. We have to be honest enough to admit that we don't have it all figured out. As a church, we talk about being authentic followers of Jesus, and that's one part of that, is for us to be authentic about the fact that we're a bit of a mess, and we don't have all the answers in life, and we need some help. Uh, there's, in fact, the gospel, the very nature of the gospel, declares that you're a mess in need of someone outside of your, uh, someone who, to help you from outside. You need a savior, you need a rescuer. There's people in our world that, I mean, they want to vomit about their need, but they don't really want any help. That's not what we're talking about either. That, was, that describes King Saul. He loved to complain, but he didn't really want anyone to help him find a new, new path. But that's not what we saw in David. Three times we saw David seeking help from others. We saw David in verse three, listening to the Lord, saying, I want to see what the Lord is up to. And he's looking to him for guidance. We also see in verse five, he's listening to the prophet. And then later we see him listening to the priest. And so David's always seeking real help from people and real guidance. Thirdly, the thing we, lesson we can learn from David is David was humble enough to learn from the Lord. Uh, this, uh, David wrote multiple psalms and prayers during this time, and he just took time to pause and reflect on the season he was in. It's one of the reasons why I've just been trying to remind us as we're walking through this kind of moment of crisis as a, as a, as a city, as a country, as a world, that we need to pause, pull away, and pray multiple times a day. Uh, we saw this modeled in Jesus. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus himself paused. He pulled away and he stopped to pray. 
We need to follow Jesus' example, but also we see this worked out in the life of David. David didn't kind of spontaneously combust an explosion of spiritual maturity. He, he had to go do the heart work uh, that, that was necessary. Psalm 57, 1 and 2 says that, that when he fled from Saul and was in the cave, he wrote, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass me by. I cry out to the God most high to the God who fulfills his purpose in me. See, even though he's writing from the cave, do you sense just the faith and, and the, the kind of clarity that, and resolution that David has found through his time with the Lord? You see the God's goodness to him even in the midst of the cave. So friends, let me draw just a couple conclusions I think that are important for us that are implied here. What, what kind of difference does this make in our lives? Well, first, I think David realizes the calling of God on his life through this experience. That through this kind of being broken down, becoming isolated, being in this place of loneliness where he's having to seek refuge solely in the Lord and there's no other props in his life, I think it's in that moment that David kind of takes on the responsibility of the king of his people. He moves beyond self-pity and personal fear to begin to care for these others that God has kind of thrust upon him. That ultimately it's Saul's suffering under Saul and having to flee from Saul and God pushing him into this cave that, that God somehow raises David's faith up and helps him realize his calling as a leader. I love what David says is that God fulfills his purpose for me. David begins to sense, have a sense of calling and purpose in his life even through this time of hardship. Friends, some of us are going to find ourselves pressed into action in this season. We're going to find ourselves needing to step into to new roles, to new expectations, into a different way of doing some things. And some of us are going to be called into leadership. And we're going to find a sense of purpose and calling and caring for those that God brings our way in the midst of a difficult time. And that's good news for, for us as a church. And I, I long to see what God wants to do through some of you, even in this season, in your families, as God raises you up as a leader in your family and your neighborhoods and ministries and your small group and uh, the life of our church and our city and our world. Just pray that God would continue to raise up people even as he raised up David through this difficult season that he was in. Secondly, you know what I expect happened to those 400 men that were in the cave with David? And I expected that as they left, uh, went, left and went out in the day to, to do some training to become the army, that when they came back at night, my, I, I just got a hunch that they circled up around the fire, that they swapped some war stories, that they laughed and kind of poked fun at one another's foibles and hang-ups and issues, and uh, that, they, that they belly ached and complained and ribbed each other. But I also bet they started laughing. They started telling jokes. That they started trusting one another and coming together as a group that had a shared history. And I mean, don't you want to be a part of, the, of a group like that? And when I think about this, and I, I just think there's nothing that will ignite, ignite God's grace in our church, like kerosene on a bonfire, as men and women who are completely honest about life and completely sincere in their faith. When I, talk to, when I talk to friends uh, that, that long for community where there's a sense of authenticity and realness, and it's guys that long for the, the team they used to play on. It's uh, my friends who are cops who are retired and go, man, I, I miss just going out and having a drink with my buddies and swapping the war stories of life that we only understood. And I, I think of guys that are uh, coming out of, the, out of military, and there's a sense of when they're all in the bunker together of just sharing in life and kind of the pressures and the weights of things 
things. And I, I see the hunger that so many men and women have for that kind of community that we see displayed in so many other ways. And I just think, shouldn't that be the church? Shouldn't the church be the place where that is more on display than anywhere, anywhere else? A place where we can come and say, man, I'm done. I'm spent. I'm not strong enough to do all this. I'm not sure exactly what to do. Would you help? Would you help me seek the Lord? Would you help me find grace? Would you help me uh, find a place where, um, where, where I can swap stories with my friends and normalize the struggles of life and remind one another of truth and laugh together under God's grace, even in, even in the time when we're cave dwellers and where we're outcasts and we feel like we're, we're, we can't do everything. We, life isn't exactly as we want it. And what if our church was a place where we said to one another what David said to his friend, stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you will be safe. And isn't, isn't there something in your heart that longs to be a part of a community like that? And mine does. And we can offer refuge like that because we've received it in the person of Jesus. See, Christianity tells us that we're each in need of refuge, both from danger outside of us and danger inside of us. That we need, uh, we need God's grace to provide a safe haven for us, and he did so through Jesus Christ, our rescuer and our king. That's the grace of God's, uh, of God's salvation. Friends, we need a refuge because we're under real stress. And we need a refuge because our sin needs real grace. We need a savior. We need a king who is even greater than David, who says, come to me. Your enemy is my enemy, and you are safe here. That's why Jesus told his disciples, he says, in me, you can have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, Jesus is our hope and our refuge, and in the caves of life, here's the question for us. In the caves of life that we face, and is our heart gonna become cold and bitter? Or our heart, is our heart going to be warmed by the fires of God, even in those dark places? Friends, let's not walk in the path of Saul. Let's walk as David walked. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for each person who's listening right now. God, would you be present to them? Father, would you, just as David sat with his friend, but they just have a sense that, that, that you, Lord, are by their side. That you, Lord, are speaking to them safety, refuge, grace. That they would know your love and your mercy, even right now. And Father, in all the dark places and all the, the disruptions of their day and all those things that are just clamoring around them, Father, in this moment, would, would they just know that you are through Christ, their refuge, that you will be their strength, that you will be the rock that they can, uh, that they can stand on, that you'll be the strong tower that they can run to, that you'll be the fortress that they can hide in, uh, that you will be the strength that they can fight with. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name and through your spirit. Amen.